Talk to a really um, awesome God-fearing man that uh, we have been influenced by, and we wanted to introduce him to you. But we've got Cy Tim Brugenkate, as you can see over Google Hangouts. How you doing, Cy? Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How'd you going? <laughs> I'm doing all right, though. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, thank you. No, no, thank you so much uh, for being able to uh, make time for us and uh, coming on just a little podcast anyway, um, you know, using the presuppositional approach. So again, everybody, uh, as we introduced uh, earlier this year, the presup what's up episodes of Tag Your It. This is a presup what's up episode number two, basically. Um, we uh, Last time we went over the AIP test uh, over with uh, Jason Lyle's book, Ultimate Proof of Creation, um, and now we We've got another awesome guy um, in the flesh here over the internet, uh, Saiten Brugenkate. He's um, an awesome, I guess I'll just let him do the uh, his own little bio, but uh, Sai, tell us about who you are and what you do. Only God is awesome. Yes. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for Amen. correcting me. Um, yeah, I'm basically what I tell people when I um, come to conferences and when I do stuff like this is I'm you. I am the listener out there. I'm a boiler operator by trade. I spent over 20 years of my life at various different uh, hospitals and factories working in the boiler room. And um, well, I'll give you a bit of a, a background. I was working on a website. I was working, and it was a very evidential website. It was back in 2002. And I was using these arguments with my fellow uh, workers. And I was using all these evidential arguments, and I get them shoved down my throat. And I didn't know why at the time. It wasn't until years later that I found out the reason I was getting them shoved down my throat is because they're terrible arguments. Amen. Um, the reason Christians love the argument is because the conclusion is true. God exists. But uh, a lot of them are just terrible um, with regard to logic. I mean, they're, they're bad logical arguments. But like I say, Christians love them because they're true. So that was in 2002. And it totally um, crushed my desire to share my faith. It did not affect my um, it did not affect my faith. I still had a very strong faith, but. It affected my desire to share uh, share my faith. So I actually shut the project down for this website in about 2002. But I still love listening to debates. So um, for two years, I just kept listening to debates. And by the grace of God, um, I know you know the debate yeah. I'm going to talk about, about the, the Greg Bonson-Gordon Stein debate. Oh, yes. Very and I, I didn't know what hit me, but I knew it was different. And then I found out that it was called the presuppositional apologetics. And I looked online for anything that was related to presuppositional apologetics. And I couldn't find anything. The only thing that I found was a podcast out in California called The Narrow Mind by a, a fellow hosted by Gene Cook Jr. Hmm. And I became a narrow mind addict. I, I listened to that profusely. That's where I met uh, my friend Dustin Seeger online, Dustin Seegers. And um, I shared with him um, my desire to do this website. 
and um, it became totally presuppositional after that. I never did upload the website. It was almost done, but it was a point-and-click type website, but it was very evidential. Mm-hmm. Then after talking with Dustin, and I've been a, a guest on Gene's show about, um, I think, four or five times, and uh, there's somebody, he's starting to upload um, old episodes to YouTube, and that's where I cut my teeth on the apologetic, and um, by the grace of God, ever since then, I've been um, learning and teaching and using presuppositional apologetics. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's quite a story. I mean, the thing is, is what uh, I think whenever I got into apologetics, you know, I had that same kind of issue um, dealing with uh, evidentialism. So basically, I got backed into a corner um, because I had to talk to atheists, you know, posting stuff on Facebook or talking to people in conversation. um, And I didn't know how to answer the question. So then I get into, you know, William Lane Craig and some of these uh, mainstream things that are available anywhere you go. Um, And so I got into that, sort of started using that approach going, you know, basically it almost ended up in despair with me is like, no matter what I do, they have an answer. So even though my, like you said, my faith wasn't really shaken. I knew um, God existed, all those kind of things, but I, you know, there, there was, you know, but I just didn't know still what to do. Um, And then it wasn't until, um, you know, I had people talking to me, have you ever heard of Saitan Brugenkate, which then led me to Jeff Jeff Durbin, which led me to James Wyatt. And then sitting under here, just going, and I think uh, Dave had the same experience, people using scripture. Yeah. People, and I was sitting here just going like, well, they deny scripture. But then it was like, oh, wait a second. I have not held on to scripture myself, which tells me exactly what to expect, which is it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Well, so I can actually live within that. Yeah. And and Sai, I hope you don't mind me. I'm sure just a little bit to my background that the issue that would always bother me was that I always found myself trying to um, refute arguments against scripture instead of starting with scripture. And the first time that I heard um, Dr. White give a debate where he said, well, I believe every word of of the Bible is true. I was like, wait a second. This is a backwards way that Mm -hmm. I have been trained. And I'm a seminary graduate, right? In Walter Martin's uh, Kingdom of the Cults, one of the things he talks about is he shares like, hey, here are some ways to prevent the cultural uh, onslaught from uh, sliding into, of course, where we are today in this uh, near totalitarian you know, position that we find ourselves in 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 Canada and the United States. Uh, And one of the ways he said to defend against that was to make sure that seminary graduates had uh, courses in apologetics. And uh, I'm a seminary grad, uh, and I didn't have a course in apologetics at all. And so I had... I've learned more from you and watching your debates and watching Mm -hmm. your encounters with people than I did in seminary classes about how to defend the faith, and it's a shame. Yeah. So, yeah. I I heard a story once of a fellow who was uh, one month away from getting his master's in apologetics, and a friend of mine uh, was talking with him and shared with him presuppositional apologetics for about an hour, and uh, he finished by saying, I don't think I deserve my degree anymore. Yeah. He was at a, a school that did not teach presuppositional apologetics. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that you heard about Jeff and Dr. White through me, because usually it's the other way around. People hear about Dr. White, they hear about Jeff Durbin, yeah, and they, they hear about me. Well, I, well, I, I think, think the main problem with the... With, sorry. Well, I was just going to say it's oh, providential yeah, sure. because I'm a barber. I'm not a seminary guy. So like I'm the everyday kind of guy, you know, that uh, whenever you get into the scriptures, you, you read First Peter, and you're reading about a dispersed church... Um, that is under per heavy persecution, and Peter's not talking to the elites. He's not talking to elders. He's he's talking to the people, saying, you know, sanctify Christ is holy in your hearts, giving an answer. And so he's talking to everyday people, 
and so finding you, which is providential, and I believe that's you know that's God's doing um, in my life as a means um, to help me grow and understand Him more um, through the means of the, the the church that Christ is building and that you're a part of, that I'm a part of. Um, you know, I get to see that and go, this guy's just a as he says, he's a boiler room worker, as you've told me in the past in messages. You're just a dude with a website, and you know, so I get to go. You know, I have meaning. I don't have, it's not my education that gives me meaning. It's not um, the amount of information that I know generally that gives me meaning. It's the gospel that gives me meaning, gives you meaning, gives Dave meaning, gives everybody meaning. So again, I just, that's, that's how it worked out in my life. You know, I don't, I hope other people have seen that same thing because apologetics isn't for um, just the intellectual academia. This is for Christians. This is for people that believe the Bible. I mean, I, I guess I might get a I, amen out of you on that one. I hope um, that that. Oh I yeah, for sure. That, but well, go ahead. But that's the thing is, there is no office of apologist in Scripture. Just like there's amen. no office of love your neighborist, because yeah. we're supposed yeah. to be able, we're supposed to be able to do it. And the problem is, the world is duping us into saying, no, you can't do it. Your yeah. Bible is not enough. You need to get all these books by all these famous apologists to defend your faith. When Jesus said, I will give you words and wisdom that your adversaries will not be able to resist or contradict. But I think the main problem with the way that I was defending my faith before is I wasn't even talking about the God I believed in. Mm. I thought that I was. Yeah. I yeah. thought that I was talking about the God that I believed in, but then I found out I wasn't even talking about the God that I believed in because the world had fooled me into defending something I didn't believe. So for me, that was the biggest difference. It was actually, it was a relief. Now I could, you know, it was a sigh of relief that I could say, well, now I'm actually talking about the God that I believe in. And um, I say, it's not just a cool way to argue. It's life-changing and it is a relief. Mm -hmm. It's very much so. And that's one thing that I find more uh, directly related to the presuppositional approach is that it's not defending a God or fighting for a God or even trying to argue. It is sharing the gospel. In fact, one of the greatest compliments that I ever gotten to uh, in a debate that I was in was after the debate, they did this open question time, which I was opposed to, but it became more of atheist attack Dave. And one of the people got up and said, I didn't hear any debate tonight. All I heard was you preach at me. And I said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. That's one of my favorite, uh, I call it accomplice salt. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, yeah. I guess uh, it's either accomplice salt or an implement. I don't know which one, but uh, they, yeah. they, they're trying to complain, but, you know, they're actually, uh, they're trying to insult you, but they compliment you all the while. I, I love that when people say that he didn't come to debate, he came to preach. Yeah. It's yeah. because um, the presuppositional argument cannot be defeated. And it ends yeah. up being an uh, exposition of the God that we actually believe in. And of course, yeah. the unbeliever is not going to like that. So mm-hmm. I want to talk just a minute about your website. And I want to make sure that people who are watching the podcast, who will listen to the podcast, uh, get a chance to check it out. Um, how did you come up with that idea for the introduction to the podcast? And maybe walk, walk me yeah. through, not podcast, your uh, website. And maybe walk me through a little bit of, of what you do on there. Well, actually, the website was the same layout that I had intended as an evidential website. Okay. It was just a point and click thing. And it was to lead people to, a, you know, to show that you have to either um, believe that God exists or end up in absurdity. So I had the same format of, as an evidentialist. And like I say, I never did end up posting the website. But then after, you know, talking with Dustin and uh, talking with Pastor Gene, um, then it became a point and click type website. But now it actually had a good biblical basis, a foundation. And that's the same thing that I do. I try to, you know, through a point and click, uh, people going through the website, I don't think we've mentioned the URL yet. It's proof that God exists with an S, proof that God exists.org. 
And basically, you go to that website, and it's a point and click. And it leads, of course, to the proof that God exists. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, um, with, with the mention that proof is not necessary for God. Proof of God is very easy. But the thing is, the unbeliever is not looking for proof that God exists. They're looking yeah. for persuasion. Yeah. And coming from the Reformed perspective, we know that we can't persuade anybody that God exists. I mean, um, you can convince a person against their will and of their, they're of the same mind still as that poem goes. Yeah. So, you know, I, in the website, they go through it, they click through it. And um, you know, I used to have morality and logic on there, but then I would get a lot of uh, complaints and emails about those things. So I just took them out. So now it's quite a bit simpler and I just deal with um, the constituents of logic. But I think we're going to get into that a little bit later as we talk, you know, um, how this actually looks on the street. Because uh, as much as the website exposes the absurdity of unbelief, that's not really how I do it on the streets anymore. Yeah, yeah. You don't send anybody, like, actually give them Disneyland tickets if they just... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get to the website, that's yeah. the first question. Uh, absolute yeah. truth exists. Absolute truth does not exist. I don't know if absolute truth exists, and I don't care if absolute truth exists. Yeah. And if you click on I don't care if absolute truth exists, it takes you to Disney. Yeah. But really, I would use... I, I would use the same yeah. technique on the street. If somebody says, I don't care what you're saying, I say, well, you might as well go to Disney for tomorrow we die. Yeah. You know, yeah. people, there's Christians who don't like that, uh, that box. It is kind of tongue in cheek, but I think if uh, Disney was around at the time of the apostle Paul, he might've said, if Jesus is not raised, you might as well go to Disney for tomorrow we die. Yeah. And I mean, there was a, uh, like a, somebody posted, I think on our systematic theology episode that we did, they posted a comment saying, you know, basically, you know, people went to the moon, there's rocks, all this stuff. But basically every time you'd make a statement, he would say, but this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. This is what I assume. And basically saying that I can go to sleep at night, um, even though absolute truth, you know, absolute truth doesn't bug him. Um, so basically he's taking in whatever he's told or seen. Um, maybe it's not absolutely true, but he's not going to lose sleep over it. And, and so I, I mentioned something, you know, hey, we'll talk about this, you know, now that we got Psy on the show. Um, and I hope uh, they're on or they will view this on YouTube. Um, but the, the fact is, is what you're saying, if you don't believe in in absolute truth or if you can't, I mean, you can't escape absolute truth no matter what. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you're going to hold a worldview um, that just wants to assume everything, there's no absolute truth. And what you're saying is, yeah, go to Disneyland, um, just go go through life, but you're not going to live like it, but have fun. But you're going to have to en- end up embracing absurdity because in that world, God exists and doesn't exist at the same time in the same sense. Right. And people ask me, how do I get them to see it? Yeah. I say, I can't. People think that this apologetic methodology is going to result in people dropping on their knees and following you into church. Yeah. But, you know, I hope that God God blesses a biblical uh, methodology, but that's not the point. Now yeah. the point is we're honoring God when we defend our faith, and yeah. he will use it as he wills. Now this person says he doesn't care about absolute truth, he doesn't care about those. Well, the thing is he uses them. Yeah. And somebody could say to me, you know, um, I don't know how my car works, but I can still drive it. I say, that's right. You can still drive your car. I say, you can use logic and reason because you're created in the image of God. But the problem is you have a worldview that can't make sense of cars, that can't make sense of glass and rubber and engines and tires. Now, that might not bother you now when you put your head on the pillow that you can drive a car, but you can't make sense of cars. And I hope God opens your eyes to the fact that without God, your worldview is absurd. You are borrowing from him with everything you do. I use the analogy um, in Canada, we have what's called crown land. It's uh, land that's owned by the government. And you're not allowed to hunt on crown land. Now, you might get some good buddy there say, I got a gun. You know, I know how to shoot. I can, I can hunt on crown land. I have no problem with doing this. And then a game warden shows up and says, no, no, you're not allowed to hunt here. 
Say, what are you talking about? You know, I could shoot deer, I can kill them, I can clean them. But the problem is you are doing something that's illegal. You are doing something on something that's not owned by you. And that's exactly what the unbelievers do. And they're saying, I could use logic. I can use my sense. I can use my reason. That's right. But these are gifts from God. And you're doing it all the while giving him the finger. Saying, you know, I, I don't need you for any of this. And while they're doing it. And, you know, just like you can hunt, hunt on crown land, there are consequences for not appealing to the authority. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So uh, whenever, you know, just we're talking about this, we're saying, you know, you can't, you know, you can't lead a horse to water. You know, it has to be the Holy Spirit. If we're, you know, we believe what the Bible says, we we believe God's revelation says um, it's only by the Holy Spirit. You know, so that's that new covenant. You know, you won't be teaching people to know God, but they will know God. Um, it's because he's outpouring his spirit on people. And so um, whenever we're talking about apologetical method, you know, we're we're now we're pitting, say, this this uh, classical or evidential apologetic versus this presuppositional apologetic. Now, um, the thing is, I guess maybe the question would follow. Are we splitting hairs or what are we doing there whenever, you know, whenever you and me, whenever and Dave, when we talk to people, no, we have to um, live according to um, the way we do theology. And in that in that sense, you know, we cannot sit here and do evidentialist um, sort of methods with uh unbelievers so are we splitting hairs here what are we doing and why or why wouldn't it be splitting hairs to actually have to defend the presuppositional approach i think the thing you're referring to is we can lead a horse to water but we can't make yeah. them drink yeah so um as, as far as um are we splitting hairs well um very early on in my when i did these interviews and podcasts i used to say that evidential apologetics was sinful and the heat that I got from people out there. So I don't say that anymore. But I say when I was arguing for the existence of God, the way I was doing it, I was sinning. Hmm. But I just didn't know it. So it's not splitting hairs. And I say the way that I was doing it, I was sinning. If you want me to comment on the way other evidentialists do it, well, you know, that's when I get dumped on. And I'm not really interested in pointing yeah. fingers at, at people. Although in the film, we do have examples of people doing it the wrong way. But I was sinning because I was not talking about the God that I believed in. Like, you know, the example that I give, in, I say in church, we can say nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. I mean, we, have, we believe in a certain God. Nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. And then the next day we go out into the world and we say, I could be wrong. And yeah. we give them all of these probabilistic arguments. And I say, if God only probably exists, you cannot say in church, nothing can separate me from the love of the Father. So we're talking about a different God in the world than the God that we talk about in church. And that has got to change. And like I say, this is why this uh, type of apologetic is life-changing, because we take God from being Lord of our theology in church to Lord of our apologetic, to Lord of mm -hmm. every aspect. And I say, when people understand presuppositional apologetic, it's not when they can argue better. It's not when they can win arguments. Yeah. It's when they love God more, when they see that God has commanded us to give an answer to anyone who asks. And we see that when we adopt this biblical apologetic, we can do that. Not yeah. only can we do it, it's easy. Oh, yeah. Well, when you think about teaching the apologetic method of presuppositional apologetics to people. Uh, that's one of the reasons that we actually exist as a podcast is we want people to see how easy it is for them to use scripture rather than having to study the complexity of the eye. So when you think about teaching the methodology to people, you've laid a foundation for why. What's the first place you go to to, to demonstrate how simple it is? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But what I tell people, I mean, I've spoke at conferences um, 
you know, here and, and in England and, and in Canada. And I tell people, you've invited me here to teach you how to defend your faith. And I say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to teach you how not to defend your faith. Mm. Because Jesus said, I will give you words and wisdom. You're supposed to be able to know how to do it. So all I'm doing is showing you, yes, you can do it. You don't need me to teach you how to defend your faith. What I'm doing most of the time is exposing unbiblical ways of defending the faith. And then people say, well, I can do this. Because one of the worst things that I hear is I see on Facebook when somebody said, you know, I was talking to my sister-in-law the other day. She's an unbeliever. I really wish I was there. I'm thinking, no, you've missed the point. If you wish I was there, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I wish I was there to listen to you talk about the God that saved you, to talk about Jesus Christ. That's what I was there. That's why I wish I was there to listen to you, but not to listen to how I defeat a philosophical argument, because that's not the point. And like I say, that's one of the things that I've uh, tried to deviate from. But I think it's a necessary um, uh, path that uh, presuppositionalists go through, that we go from learning all the evidences, and then we think that we have to learn the precondition of intelligibility so that we can win arguments on the street. That's not the point. The point is that the argument is already won. That's right. And you can have those philosophical arguments in your back pocket, but the argument is the gospel. That's right. That is what God is going to use to convert people. Well, now, we are commanded to do apologetics, but we're commanded to do it in a way that honors him. So when you have an encounter with a non-believer uh, on the street, uh, and I, that's one thing, man, I, I just admire so much about you, is that you actually take it out there. And of course, you strap a video camera to yourself and do it, which is amazing. Yeah. But there, I know there's a lot of times where you don't have a video camera strapped to you and you're doing it. But when you go out there and you run into these people, uh, you know, uh, when you go by yourself, when you go in the company of others, what are the, the major, I guess, or the commonalities you see among people? people and their suppression of the truth. Well, the thing is, there's only two worldviews. There's God and there's not God. And the only God worldview is Christianity because there is only one God. So anybody who professes another worldview, be they Muslims, be they Mormons, be, you know, I would say even Roman Catholics, they're professing a worldview that is a not God worldview. So that's what they all have in common. Now, atheists are the easiest to talk to because they don't have a fallback you know, a deity that they can use to justify their knowledge claims. So those are really the easiest to defeat. But all the other worldviews, they just posit another deity. And what you'll see when you talk to people of these other worldviews, that they're not going to these other gods to look for truth, as much as they'll say they are, as much as they dupe Christians into saying, oh, you're looking for truth, you're just looking at other gods. But they're not looking to those supposed other gods for truth. They're looking at those other gods to run away from truth. Yeah. To run away from the God that they despise, the God that, you know, has given them a, a lousy life as far as they're concerned. So now here's, I mean, I know this was not on the Google Doc that we sent, but like it kind of brings <laughs> me into this thought. And I know you know that happens, but like when you run into the Mormon or the Jehovah Witness and you have the presuppositional method, because often when I think about the presuppositional method, I think about me engaging the most common people that I see in this world, someone who is really a, they might claim that they are even like, well, I'm kind of a Christian. I mean, I get that kind of idea. Or, well, I'm an agnostic. And I think that there's a method that's really, you know, simple that's lined out over and over again uh, in the presuppositional approach. But, but how do you engage the person who... Uh, uh, claims another suppression of the truth worldview, uh, even though it is, again, a anti-God, anti-biblical worldview. What's the difference between engaging the, the Mormon and engaging the agnostic atheist with the presuppositional approach? You know, um, I know that you cited uh, Jeff Durbin and Dr. White, and those guys are brilliant. They yeah. know Islam backwards and forwards. They know Mormonism backwards and forwards. I don't. 
Okay. And so I, I like to equip people so that if they watch one of my uh, encounters or they watch, you know, what I teach, that they can walk away. They say, you know, I can't wait to talk to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witnesses or a Jehovah's Witness because I can do it. So I actually don't differ my methodology with agnostics or with the Mormon or with the Muslim. I will say to them, you know this God that exists. Amen. You know him, but you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Now, is there a place for deconstructing their worldview? You know, I do believe that there is. And I don't know if you've heard me use this analogy before, but let's say somebody comes up to you and says, um, yeah, uh, I think your wife is a whore. And you say, um, well, uh, no, last night she was making dinner for me, so I don't think she was walking the street. And the night before that, she was at choir practice, so I don't think she was walking the street. And the night before that, she was at her parents' house. So I really don't think my wife's a whore. Would you say that? You'd say, uh, buddy, that's my wife you're talking about. You better be very careful with the next words out of your mouth. Now, somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I don't believe in God, or I believe Allah is God, or I believe in the Mormon God and not your God. They've just called the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, a liar. Mm -hmm. And we just say here, well, let me deconstruct your worldview. Let me show you where your worldview is in error. You wouldn't do that for your wife. And this is a question that I'll ask Christians. What is more dangerous for somebody to come up to you and say, your wife is a whore or your God is a liar? Mm. And sadly, for most people, it would be more dangerous for that person to say your wife is a whore. But what they don't understand is that when people, these people profess other worldviews, they profess other gods, they're actually telling you that your God is a liar, that what he said in his word is not true. And I think that Christians need to get back to honoring God as God and saying, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. And when you say that, that's very dangerous for you to talk about God that way. Now, I can look at your worldview and I can deconstruct some of the problems, but the issue is that if you were to die right now, if let's say you're about to go and talk to a Mormon and the guy get hit by a bus right before you got there. Where is he going? He's going to hell because he has sufficient knowledge of the God yeah. for his condemnation. So we're here going to them and we're trying to say, no, your God actually doesn't exist because of this, this, and this reason, which scripture says they have sufficient knowledge of the God for their condemnation. So I tell them that and I share the gospel with them. And I think um, one method that I really like is engaging people of the, of the cults. I ask them, um, can you tell me what the gospel is? And of course, they're not going to give you an accurate representation of the gospel because they have a Jesus that cannot save. And then I bring them to Galatians 1 and I show them that people who give a false gospel are anathema. And I leave them with that. And, um, you know, when they put their head on their pillow at night, they're not thinking about how you, can, how you deconstructed their worldview. And I think God has saved a lot of people that way. But they're thinking about the fact that you talked about the God of the Bible with them because there's over 4,000 religions out there. And if you have to learn each and every one of them backwards and forwards, you can never defend your faith. That's right. But if you say, well, this is, what, this is what the Bible says about you. This is what the gospel says. This is what you need to do to be saved before you die. And they say, you are nuts, buddy. And I say, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'll pray about it. You know, I'll pray for you and have a nice night. And I, that's why women helped me learn this apologetic. Because men have the testosterone, they need to win the argument. They say, well, actually, your, your worldview says this, and it says this, and it's a back and forth for hours. And the woman would just say, well, I'm sorry, this is what the Bible says about you. Yeah, I don't believe that. Well, I'm sorry, the Bible says that you do believe this, that you know this, God, and I'm going to pray for you. Have a nice night. And anybody can say that when the Mormon or the Muslim comes to, the, to their door, and they have to be worried about them coming to the door because they don't know the King Fallout discourse. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I love that a lot. And that's a great reminder. You know, at the church that I pastor, they're spending, uh, they've been spending the last, you know, few months studying apologetics and they've been studying the cults and they've been studying uh, also different approaches to uh, how you engage people apologetically. But man, that's what I love about this methodology is, man, just study the gospel. Just study mm -hmm. the gospel because God has spoken. 
Yeah, and there's a uh, steadfastness in that. And uh, that's one of the things that I, I just love is every time I, I see you speak, you come back and you you glorify God. And that's exactly mm. what we're called uh, to do. But how about you um, share with me just a little bit, if, if it's okay, uh, when you have been pressed in this method by other individuals who uh, put forward other uh, other apologetic methods, and I think back to your documentary, uh, how do you engage those folks, and how do you, and I, I think that I'm using the word correctly, how do you persuade those folks who would uh, would aspire to or affirm another methodology? Because I do think the simplicity, but I think more importantly, the, the way that it glorifies God and gets right to the gospel is something we need to engage others who uh, want to prop up other methodologies. How do you do that? Um, I think that's a very good uh, question, and you make a very good point as well, because um, I believe that as as there is a cage stage with Calvinism, I believe there's also a cage stage with presuppositional apologetics, that people become presuppositionalists and they beat evidentialists over the head with their newfound uh, understanding of defending the faith. And, you know, they don't realize that a month ago they were evidentialists. Yeah, and right. one of my favorite verses when it comes to talking to people who aren't Calvinists, who, are, who aren't presuppositions, is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do we have that we've not been given? Mm-hmm. And so if I've been given the proper method of apologetics, then I'm not to bash another person over the head with it. I come alongside with them. And the, uh, I come alongside them. And the way that I try to help people expose the error of their apologetic, of course, is with Scripture. But I will ask them, I will say, look, you're about to give evidences to somebody and they get hit by a bus. Where are they going? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, to hell. I say, why? Well, because they know that God exists. And then why are you trying to convince them that God exists with evidences? It doesn't seem to make any sense. They say Romans 1 is an evidential argument. I say, well, if it's an evidential argument, it says that these people have enough evidence. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why are you giving them why are you giving them more? And People say that people have been saved with evidences, and I don't deny that. I think that God can strike a straight blow with a bent stick. But I will ask somebody who's an evidentialist who said that they became a Christian because of the evidences. I would say, what evidence would make you no longer a Christian? Mm. And if they give me evidence that would make them no longer a Christian, I I say, that's a huge problem. Because that indicates that you're the judge over the evidences, that God is not the judge. It's not God has spoken, therefore his word is true. It's there as I've examined the evidence, and I'm the judge, and therefore his word is true. But if I get some evidence... That his word is no longer true. It shows that God's word is not your authority. You're your own authority. And I think that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, I can say, I can testify that to myself. Um, you know, just talking to behind the barber chair, talking with people that whenever they're talking about apologetics with me and stuff like that, um, that I know that they probably haven't really got deep into any sort of say and cemented an approach to an apologetic anyway. Um, but whenever I've talked to them about this, even though they don't hold to the same um, theological concepts as me, um, they wouldn't call themselves Calvinist, not whatever. We're not going to get into that debate. We're not going to get into um, presuppositional or evidential, but what I, whenever you, all you do is just go, doesn't Romans one eighteen through 34 say, that they already know God exists. So that does it already does it say a possible God or the God that is spoken in the scriptures um, and testified of Himself, and then they'll end up thinking about it. And if they've read that, they'll kind of go, "Yeah." And so you don't have to sit there and just beat in the uh, the uh, jargon. Uh, presuppositional is the way to go. You just lead them, and you know the thing is, is the Holy Spirit works through all of us. Um, especially if we have the same starting point, which is the God that has revealed himself in scriptures. They just haven't really thought about it in that way. 
And then, so instead of sitting there and just uh, bickering over, and this is that, I think that quibbling um, that we're not supposed to do um, according to scripture, but whenever you sit there and exhort one another, whenever you say, these people already know, whenever we're out there talking to unbelievers, they already know he exists. And this is the way we have to live. They're going to see it in scripture and they're going to go, oh yeah. And so then you've gained a brother. You haven't caused any enmity. And so what uh, Sai is talking about here, that cage stage, you know, I, I've lived it. I'm not sure about Dave. <laughs> I don't, we've met each other, you know, a few years after we got into this and, and maybe that's the province of God in that too. So we're not two cage stagers uh, going after people. Um, but, you know, whenever the whole method is scripture, gospel, that's it. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, that's what I see whenever Sai speaks, whenever I see Jeff, James, White, like all these people that when I read a Greg Bonson book, it is so soaked in the gospel. Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior and King. I can't you can't escape it. And that's what's so wonderful about it. So, um, you know, thank you again for for that that just that gospel centering side. So, Sai, here's another. Oh, God, I'm, I'm only a tool, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go no, no, on. go for it, sir. No, I was saying, praise God for that. I, I'm just a tool, but uh, for people who aren't familiar with the cage stage is that is when people understand yeah. a new theology and they should be locked in a cage yeah. until they can until they can um, speak about that new theology or that new understanding with love. Yeah. yeah, amen. And uh, we were talking about evidences, and this is another thing that I will ask, you know, an unbeliever who says that they just need more evidence for God, I would say to them, what evidence will convince you of the God who says you already have enough evidence? Yeah. And if they give me a piece of evidence, it shows that they didn't understand the question. I say, no, the God of the Bible says you have enough evidence. So no evidence could convince you of that God. So it would sh show that it's not a problem of evidence. It's a spiritual problem. But sorry for cutting you off. No, oh, no. And I mean, I was going to say that evidence is itself. If you guys uh, go on YouTube and just look up debates, um, Sai was actually in this um, conversation. I forgot. Um, it was your three on three. And what was the guy with the long hair that you guys, that you guys debated? Um, that was on the, uh, the inside of the tables on, in that debate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember his yeah, name offhand. So, it slipped my mind. Yeah. Mental hiccups, but I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's so, um, he's quite a popular atheist, a yeah. professing atheist. Yeah, so what he did there, so Sai asked him this question, and then so it's that, you know, what evidence is it? And he's like, well, they say the stars um, say I am here. And then you go, okay, so that'll take you to believe. Well, I'll have to actually do scientific work just to make sure that wasn't anything else. And that was sort of the telling thing with him is, that evidence that he would ask for still requires scientific method work and more evidence to explain that evidence. So it's going to be an ad infinitum issue. So what Sai did here, it's a spiritual problem. It's an ethical problem. It's a hatred of God. Um, so I just wanted to relay our, you know, our people that are watching, if you uh, get a hold of that debate, it was Jeff Sai and I forgot the other guy, because that's a mental health. Paul, Paul Vigiano. Yeah. Okay. Paul yeah. Vigiano. Pastor. Yeah. Now, a very interesting story about Paul Vigiano is that, um, so I was telling you about that podcast that I heard about, that narrow mind with Gene Cook, and that's where I cut my teeth on the apologetic. And so I put a, a notification on Facebook that I was going to do this debate at Paul Vigiano's church. Oh. And Gene Cook uh, messaged me. He said that he he learned presuppositional apologetics from Paul Vigiano. Oh, wow. So when I went to that church, I mentioned that to Paul Vigiano, and he started tearing up. It was really cool. It was, mm -hmm. a, it was a full circle. It was just, uh, it was wonderful. 
Full circle. So here's where I would really, I'm very curious on this. Uh, when you are talking to a Christian about this methodology, one of the key things that at least I always want to do is I want to show them in Scripture, where do I see this method? And where do you go? Where is your key text to say, right here, we can see the presuppositional approach spelled out right here in this dialogue. And, and are, is there more than one? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I would say so. You know, of course, we go to Romans chapter one. Now, they will argue it's evidential, and I will show how that's not the case. And then, you know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and just show the the fool verses, that it's not somebody, you know, who just doesn't have enough evidence. It's somebody who's willfully mm-hmm. ignorant of the truth. And, you know, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. I say, what is a fool's folly? The fool says there is no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Do not answer him according to his folly, lest you be like him. Don't answer him according to his folly that there is no God. And I say, that's what all of the evidential methods do. They say, let's put God on the shelf. Let's examine the evidence and see which worldview makes the most sense. We're saying you can use your autonomous reasoning to conclude whether or not God exists. And we're trying to get them to see that their reasoning is not autonomous. So we grant them the very thing that we're trying to prove is not the case. And to say, so if you even convince them with evidence that God exists, it's not the God of the Bible. Because so what I say is God is not a God that you can reason to. He's the God that you can't reason without. God is necessary for reasoning, for truth, for logic, for all these things. And we grant them to the unbeliever and say, you can have these things without God to argue to the God who says that this God is necessary for all those things. You know, it just does not make any sense. So let me get a little more biographical, if that's okay. I'm stepping again away from this Google Doc, and and I hope that's okay. But... So that's fine. Let's jump back a little bit in time. And you have now been introduced to the Narrow Minded Podcast. You're a boiler room uh, worker in Canada. What happens next in your ministry that begins to to put you out uh, in the uh, in the public? Like, what did you do to begin to uh, to begin to apply this method? Because a, a lot of people say, "Okay, it's great that I've learned this method. Yeah, that's cool." Like, what next? So about uh, 2006, that's when I first uh, put my website up. And then what happened, I had a, I don't have it anymore, but I have a, a tracker on, um, on my website. So if somebody were to post a link to my website on their blog, then I would get a notification. And so I would get all these atheist blogs that were posting my a link to my website and they were making fun of it, saying this guy's such an idiot. If he ever came here, I'd kill him and stuff like that. So I would go to these atheistic blogs and I would sign up and I would start engaging these people. And more often than not, they were very apologetic because they never thought that I would come there. Mm-hmm. And some of these conversations went on for thousands of posts. And that's really where I cut my teeth on the apologetic methodology. You know, they would, they would go on for quite a while. But in that time, I think I was banned from six different atheistic free-thinking blogs hmm. because they didn't like, they like, they said they were for free-thinking, but not the type of free-thinking that I was offering. Wow. So I was, and two of the blogs, they actually deleted them entirely. And I contacted them afterwards. I say, why did you delete these blogs entirely? And they say, well, you're so stupid. You know, we didn't want these out there. And I say, well, if I'm so stupid and I have a website called Proof That God Exists, you'd think you'd want to expose my stupidity to everybody out there. I say, I know exactly why you deleted these blogs. So that's really where I cut my teeth on the apologetic and there's a fellow who contacted me. He was um, engaging somebody in an atheistic blog and he was having difficulty. And he saw, you know, the arguments that I was having on different blogs. He said, can you come over here and engage these people for me? So I did. And this guy was blown away. He'd never seen anything like it. And um, he said that he was doing, he was going to be a guest on uh, Justin Brierley's unbelievable show in the UK 
uh, in a few weeks. He wanted me to listen to it. And I did listen to it. And um, needless to say, it was not presuppositional. Needless to say, you know, I ended up uh, contacting Justin Briley sh shortly after that. And I said, uh, brother, you need to get a presuppositionalist on your radio show to debate what I would say was biblically. He says, do you know anybody in England that would do that? I said, no, not really. And I'd not really done anything like this. Hmm. And so uh, I said, well, I'll do it. And they had actually lined up a woman to debate me, but I don't know if she saw the website or, or what it was that made her step back, but she declined. And then a fellow named Paul Baird stepped up and I debated him yeah. on the unbelievable show. I think it was back in two, 2010. And, and we're both nobodies. And that show was not, the number nine of the top 10 downloads for almost a year because I think people saw a different methodology. I mean, it was just like me when I heard the Bontenstein debate. It's, you know, something happened. They knew it was different. Now, the thing is, I was nervous like crazy. When I used to do these um, debates, I would get sick to my stomach and it was terrible. And um, But the thing is, it went better than I could ever have imagined. And it's on my website. If you go to the website under the multimedia, under the audio section, I think it's actually the first link, that debate that I had. And it went far better than I could ever have imagined. And one thing that I did not realize until about a year later, I was talking to my pastor and um, his, uh, his wife, her father's a retired pastor. And one thing I didn't know is that, well, this show, it was at like five o'clock my time because it's the five hour time difference with England. And I told my church at, that I was attending at the time that I was going to be on this show. And uh, so my pastor's wife told me that her father got up at that time and he was praying the whole time I was on the air. Amen. So I think that, you know, we cannot forget that aspect of this apologetic. Too, many, too often people fall in love with the apologetic instead of the Lord of the apologetic. Yeah. And you're yes. not going to change one heart and you're not going to represent him accurately unless you love him, unless you love the people that you engage. And I found this out, like I say, about a year after the podcast. I said, well, that's why it went how it did. It wasn't because of me. And people compliment me all the time. I say, it's not because of me. I'm just a tool. And that's the beauty of this apologetic. When you watch an evidentialist argue with a Christian, or, or sorry, when you see an evidentialist argue with, a, with an atheist, a lot of times you'll come away saying, you know, I could never do that. That guy is brilliant. And they watch me engage somebody. They say, well, I can do that. Yeah. Amen. And I say, praise God. You know? yeah. yeah. I say, that's, that's what I want people to say. And sometimes I get criticized for not answering the difficult biblical objection. But what you'll see is usually it's in a hostile environment where these yeah. people do not want a biblical answer. They don't want it to be reconciled. Now, will I answer that question one-on-one -on -one when I'm having coffee with a friend of mine? Sure. But in a hostile environment, they don't want that. They just want to try and trip you up. And if you answer that question for them, then, you know, they're not going to fall on their knees and become Christians. So I, and if, let's say I do answer that difficult biblical question, and I have somebody at home watching the debate and say, you know, I didn't know that answer. I'm afraid to talk to unbelievers in case they ask me that question. So I answer the question. I say, no, you don't need to know that answer. Is it nice to have in your back pocket? Sure, but you don't need it. Just talk about the God that saved you. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I think, uh, cause, uh, Jonathan Hanna, he's another, um, person that's uh, been on the podcast before he's talking about John frame and how, um, John frame would say that, uh, you could have like a broadly, uh, um, you know, you have broad circles and narrow circles. So he's getting into the academic sort of uh, presuppositionalism that's, that's there with frame and all that. Um, but I think what you just did there was sort of answer that question, you know? Um, so, you know, size out there on the street, he's trying to, you know, He's doing what he wants to do is talk about Jesus. He's wanting to uh, present the gospel. And so we're, I think what we're seeing here is the practical um, issue of the apologetics. So whenever we get into evidentialism and, and uh, textual criticism and these things, you know, you'll see James White uh, debate these things all day. Um, but I think uh, what Cy just did there was kind of just talk about, you know, if you and me were one-on-one, -on -one, 
you know, maybe, I, you know, it's kind of one of those throw you a bone type of things. Let's, we can talk about it. But what is Sai saying here? And I think, uh, I think it's the practical issue of the apologist or not necessarily the apologist, the disciple of Jesus Christ in defense of the gospel is to go, well, yeah, that would be a nice answer, but we still need to just talk about this uh, lordship of Jesus Christ thing. Um, you're not going to understand this. I can give you an answer all day. It's, is it going to satisfy you? Um, you know, the Bible says that it probably won't unless that the Holy Spirit um, is doing a work. But so I think uh, I think Sai did answer, hopefully in a way that question, Jonathan Hannah, for you. Um, so, you know, whenever we're talking about evidences, I, I see you, Sai. I see you've thrown, you know, you, you, you throw bones every once in a while. Like somebody goes like, well, what about Allah or whatever? And, you know, you kind of throw out a bone. Well, you don't believe in Allah. So why are we even talking about it? It's irrelevant. And then you get right back to the gospel. So there, so would you say there's a little bit more of a, uh, a practice issue involved in this sort of questioning? Well, I think there's definitely a context and see that there's no cookie cutter approach yeah. because if you're in a hostile environment, it's very unlikely that I will uh, have that kind of discussion. Now, going back to the wife, your wife is a whore example. Yeah. Now this is from somebody who knows your wife isn't, but let's say he has a picture of your wife kissing somebody at the bus station and he brings it up and he say, buddy, you know that my wife is faithful. That's her brother. She was dropping them off at the bus station to go back to, you know, such and such. So that's a way of using evidence. It's, yeah, buddy, listen. You know, and so I would do that with somebody to, and here's another example. Let's say somebody says there's too many contradictions in the Bible. And if I'm one-on-one -on -one with the person, I say, look, the only person in this conversation who can have a problem with contradictions is me. Yes. Because God says, do not, do not lie. And to say your car is both in the parking lot and not in the parking lot at the same time in the same way is a lie. And God says, don't lie. Now, you as an unbeliever, I want to know why are contradictions not allowed? And I'll say, look, I really don't know how we as Christians reconcile this, but I'll look it up. You know, I, I, I love you. I'll look it up. But the thing is, you are going to examine that with the idea that contradictions are not allowed. And of course, then it gets more philosophical. And that's why women, I think, are much better at doing this. But if you're with a friend and say, look, I'll come back. I'll come back with an answer as to how Christians reconcile this. But I want you to come back with an answer as to why you can't have contradiction in your worldview. Yeah. And so, then I'll say, you know, so this is how we as Christians reconcile it. But you are examining what I'm telling you. You're already borrowing from the God of the Bible. And so, you know, I would say and I have a friend of mine, Corey McKenna. He does that quite, quite well. He prefaces it with with, uh, you know, he'll give the answer just about every time he says, look, I'm going to give you the answer. But you will likely reject the answer because of your presuppositions. So here is how we answer it. And then they go on and they reject your answer immediately. I say, this is exactly what I said you were going to do. Yes. So I think, you know, it's. It's nice to have Christians so that they can know those answers for themselves, you know, yeah. but um, it's, it's not necessary. And like, like I say, I try to do it in such a way to equip the people that are watching. And um, the beauty of this apologetic is, is that once you understand the biblical apologetic, you can do it. I had a pastor come up to me at a conference once, and he does a lot of street witnessing. And he was worried about the atheist that he would run into who was more intelligent than him. And I said, Pastor, I could teach you how to do this better than I do in five minutes. Because you know your Bible better than I do. Mm. I say, if you know scripture, you can do this apologetic. Just talk about, you know, what the Bible says about that person, what the Bible says about their objection. And if they reject it, it really doesn't matter. Because, you know, we, we're not really talking about the roots of this apologetic, but it's a reformed apologetic. that There's two types of people in the world. There's sheep and there's goats. Yeah. And one thing scripture never says is that goats become sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So when we're out there defending our faith, we have to give them sheep food. Yeah. We have to give them the gospel. That's what God uses to convert people. Now, can we answer questions? Sure. Can we have those things in the back in our back pocket? Sure. 
but we need to do it in a way that honors the God that we adore. Yeah. So I have a few questions and, you know, we uh, have a live feed that's going and uh, some of the individuals that are watching ask a question here and there. And so uh, one gentleman and uh, his name is James Stray, and he asked a question about uh, Paul's speech in Acts 17. And he asked, is that evidential or is that presuppositional? I know Bonson does deal with this in the appendix of the... uh, Always ready. Always ready. But uh, how would you respond to that? I hope you don't mind me. I just want to make sure, to since James is listening. No, that's no problem. This is a question that I ask people. Let's say Paul never went to Athens, and a meteor hit Athens and killed every one of them. And you said to the Apostle Paul, where are they going? What would the Apostle Paul say? It's the same Paul that wrote Romans chapter 1. They would be going to hell for their sin against the God that they know exists. So I'd say, you know, Acts 17 is not an evidential argument. He's telling them about the God that they know exists. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he says, before God forgave this ignorance. Now, it's talking about ignorance in Acts chapter 17. And I just don't know how you can ignore something that you don't know is there. Yeah. I think in order to ignore something, you must know it's there. And I think it's, like I say, it's the same Paul that wrote Romans chapter one. And I really don't think that he would contradict himself in, uh, you know, in the prior book. So. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I did a study and I know I wrote a little blog article about that, but uh, just uh, I think it was one, I think it was a couple of years ago that I was doing an, a, a presuppositional um six week course on a, I mean, it's apologetics in general, presuppositional uh, in particular. Um, and, and, defining the saints in that, but I got asked the question. So you're saying that everybody knows that God exists, um, like and the God or whatever, but what about uh first Corinthians 15? I forgot the verse. Um, so they're like, uh, talking about the word ignorance and all that kind of stuff. And it was really awesome. Um, whenever I did some word study, cause I, I just never thought of that before. And, uh, the word that, uh, comes up for ignorance, um, is willful ignorance, but it's the term agno- agnosine, which is the Greek, which is where we get the medical term agnosia from. So it's, it's something agnosia is a condition that they did know things before and suffered brain damage and now can't make out the same like so, they knew it. It's it's within them, but now they're brain damaged. Which again, what does Romans one talk about? Um, they and what does uh, chat? What does Genesis chapter three talk about? You know, it's the, the you know, we have to accept that fact that man is dead in sin. That it didn't just affect our relationship with God and that that relationship only, but it affected us. We are sinful. Our brains are sinful. And so we have received this knowledge, we know this knowledge, but we have been damaged by sin. And so we will then, by our nature, suppress the truth and unrighteousness and, and uh, worship the creature instead of the creator. And so whenever we even get even deeper um, into the truths of Scripture, we realize, again, what's, what he's saying here, what Sai is saying here, is that this is willful unbelief. They know God exists. There is no such thing as an atheist. Um, and that's what we have to speak the gospel into, right? Well, even even in English, even in English, the word ignore. Yeah. Ask anybody what does the word ignore mean? Yeah. It's to not pay attention to something that basically you know is there. Yeah. I mean, if you ignore the traffic light, it's not like oh, I didn't think there was a traffic light. No, you willfully yeah. decided not to look at it for whatever reason. So even in English, the word ignore assumes that you know that thing that you're ignoring. Otherwise, it wouldn't yeah. be ignorance. Yeah. Wonderful. Man, Sai, I'm so grateful that we've been able to have you on our program. Um, man, 
we want to get you to Springfield, Missouri sometime uh, to speak. Yeah. We would love to have you. We'd love to set up a debate uh, with the Springfield free thinkers in you at one point. And uh, I'm certain we could figure out a way to, to get you if we set it up. And that's something we maybe would want to look into. Um, but we're so thankful for your ministry. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, uh, Paul F. Taylor's book that you wrote the preface for uh and i cannot remember the name of it uh only believe it's called only, only believe. believe yeah uh are you going to uh be putting together a book sometime in the future uh is that any plan well that you i've have? i've said on a, a number of podcasts lately that this year i've finally decided to write my book okay. and i'm really thankful i really thankful that i haven't done it in previous years because it would have been completely different because i think what i was doing you know i don't regret anything i've done in the past but I think with evidentialists, we have such powerful evidence for God that we made it into an argument for God. Mm. And I think the same thing is the case with presuppositionalists, that we have such powerful presuppositions that we made that the argument for God. So we were duped before by arguing all these evidences for God, and now we're arguing with somebody for six hours about epistemology yeah. instead of saying, no, this is, what, this is what God says that you need before you die. Mm. You need a right relationship with Jesus Christ before you die. And that's more of my argumentation. And you'll see, you know, as you progress in the videos over the timeline, that more often than not, I just go and share the gospel with people. Yeah. And if they say you're nuts, I will quickly deal with that apologetically, presuppositionally, and then I'll right, get right back to sharing the gospel with yeah. them. Because, again, that's what God uses to save people. And I've had wonderful reports from around the world where people have seen that. You know, people who used to argue evidentially, and they see one of my exchanges on the university campus, and they're blown away. They're saying, you know, here's this guy arguing at a very secular campus and he's arguing biblical truths when these people reject the bible he says what are they doing he says but then they watch that conversation and they see that the people are made silent that they have no answer to these things and a lot of times people are afraid to argue scripture because our bible says a donkey talk so there's a man who was in a fish for three days but you'll see and if you look at my videos where i actually argue biblical truths with them it actually closes mouths and that's the role of apologetics we can't save even one person we're in, we're to close their mouths lovingly so that hopefully the Holy Spirit works in that silence. Yeah. So last question here, because I, I know our time is, is coming to the end and my wife always wants me to make sure that we get this right at an hour. So I got to be cautious. Uh, she always gets on to me in a good way, in a good way. Uh, Cause she says, Oh Dave, you guys go on too long sometimes. And that will, will, uh, will just uh, ex not allow people to listen to the whole thing. So, if there is an atheist listening to this podcast, they have followed the entire thing, or maybe they would call themselves an agnostic, or maybe they'd say they're a spiritualist. What would your words be to that person? I, I would, my words to them would be to repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ before they die. Um, I would, you know, I, I would start with a gospel uh, presentation. I would say, if you were to die tonight, when you stand before God, of course, it's not going to be a conversation. It's not going to be like that. They'll be without excuse. But if he were to say, why should I let you to heaven? You know, what would your answer be? And a lot of times it'd be a workspace thing. And, you know, if they say, well, I don't believe in God, I say, well, the Bible says you do. I'll pray for you. But, you know, if, if they say a workspace thing, I said, you know what I would say? If somebody said, why, if God said to me, why should I let you in? I said, you really shouldn't because I'm a vile sinner. I sin every day, but you sent your son to die for sinners just like me. And I put my trust in him for salvation. So the only reason I should be led into heaven is because of the sacrifice of your son. And I thank you for it. And I love you for that. And I say, unless you have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you when you stand before him, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Now I'm not a hell and fire brimstone preacher, 
But, um, you know, I say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that unbeliever who would call in, who would say something like that, they will know deep down that there is no life without Jesus Christ. And that uh, I would encourage them to repent and put their trust in him before it's too late. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And Cy, uh, so grateful for you, brother. And and I'm, I'm humbled. Adam did an excellent yeah. job reaching out to you. And, and I mean it, I'm humbled because you are someone that I have listened to speak. Your uh, dialogue with Penn Jillette was just so powerful. Mm. And such. I mean, I've shared that with so many people. But like, hey, here's here's... Here's apologetics from a biblical standpoint. And, uh, you know, you have many videos like that. And I'm so grateful that God has put a fire in you. And I just pray that that fire will be contagious. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to this book. Uh, do you already have a publisher or are you, are you hunting for one? Um, well, I have been talking to um, a, a family member of mine who's a high up in one of the publishing companies. Gotcha. And the more that I discuss this type of thing, the more that I think that I'm going to self-publish. Gotcha. And my friend Marv Clementash, he runs OneMillionTracks.com, and he's put out a, a number of books. And I think I'll probably work with him if he stops being a jerk to me on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think I'm going to do that because the thing is, what happens when you sell a book is that especially a book like this, it's kind of a niche market and I'll probably yeah. be selling it myself. And if you haven't gone, gone through a publishing house then you know, they want, they take control over how it's going to look. And, you know, a lot of them, I think don't even understand the apologetic and they will not be as enthusiastic about putting it out um, as I will. And I think that um, this type of book, I don't think this type of book has been written the way that I want to write it. And I'm hoping that it will just take off like the film did and that um, yeah. people will really embrace it. And when they put the book down, say, you know, I didn't need this book. All I needed was yeah. my Bible. And I say, amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. Well, brother, I think we're going to have to let yeah. you go, but man, um, when you get that book out, we'd love to have you on our yeah. podcast to talk about it, um, please. And and know that, man, if you are around the Missouri, Springfield, Missouri area, uh, you have a place to stay. Uh, yes, we got love, two houses yeah, to stay so in. So whenever Jesus said that, whenever you do the work of the gospel, you will gain brothers and sisters and houses and lands. This is what that is. And so, uh, you know, you always have a place to stay. You have homes and lands here in well, Springfield and, and, uh, and uh, Buffalo. Yeah, I'm from Buffalo, Missouri. Be, 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 be careful what you offer, brothers, because I have a Dutch background, and uh, you know, if somebody offers accommodation at the Dutch price, I'll like you take. I'll hey, likely take you up on. It. I'm not. I don't have Dutch in me, but uh, you're welcome. Come on in. <laughs> right, thank you. Well, you so, have a great evening, yeah, so and uh, thank you again so much, brother. Uh, we will let you go. All right, you too, brothers. All right. See you later. Bye bye. All right. Well, I Amen. hope. I hope this, uh, you know, is, is just another thing. You know, we, this, you know, it's it's because of the ministries of people we stand on, uh, as James White says, we stand on the backs of giants. And even when we're thinking about contemporaries, um, we there's people that God has used, um, and that just it just. But the thing is about the gospel, it's it's it lights a fire, and it's gonna be on fire throughout history until Christ right. comes back. And uh, this is this is just the way it is. So we we know again we thank Sai um, for. You know, he's a humble dude. Um, it's just awesome to have him on the show that he would consider something like this. You know, I guess maybe I've put him up a little bit higher than I should. But at the same time, you know, uh, we wanted to deliver um, this over to you guys. Uh, get to know Cy. Get to know Jeff Durbin that we've had on the podcast before. Um, James White. You know, we are not the we are not it. Um, That's right. But this is just an outflow of, of people that we are standing on. We read the Bible first. Um, we test everything according to scripture, and then we have church history behind us that we can study for apologetics. 
and then we've got other people that are alive right now that are preaching the gospel and uh, so support their ministries, help them out because they are in the midst of of uh, the university. That's right. Um, that is indoctrinating everybody. Um, and then here's what I yeah. would say too. If you enjoyed the podcast, yes. be sure yes. to like us on Facebook. Be yeah. sure to give us reviews on iTunes. Yeah. Like, like us on 22. YouTube. Like us on YouTube yeah. and follow and a us on Twitter. new thing as we are now on Twitter. I'm going to keep up a little bit of Twitter stuff going on. So if you guys aren't Facebook people, but you're Twitter people, um, we are TagPod1689 on Twitter. So give us a, uh, give us a uh, follow there. We'll follow you too. Um, but you know, and more importantly is I hope that, um, if anybody, if any of you out there have questioned, um, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I say? Um, what cited there is if he wrote a book, hopefully at the end of him, you reading his book is to go, I didn't need this. I should have just had the Bible. Um, you know, it's like, like I said, we can use each other. We exhort each other. That's what we're called to do. Um, but at the end of the day, God has spoken. Um, he has revealed himself. He has revealed who he is, who you are in light of that. And he has spoke about salvation because his wrath is coming. And so, yes, we can get into that hellfire and brimstone attitude. But the thing is, it's because of that. That is our motivation. It's not motivating because people are lost. Uh, like I said um, in that biblical systematic theology episode, um, we do it in the face because we live before the face of God. We we do what we do because God is coming and we're messengers. And that is our, our proclamation is the gospel. And so whenever we get into First Peter, it's people that are being, um, you know, they were beat down. They were persecuted. Um, it's just to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And what is that hope that lies within you? It is the gospel. That's right. It's not the irreducible complexity of the eye. It's not uh, textual criticism. It's not that. It is the gospel. Um, once you have the gospel, Jesus is all wisdom and all knowledge. That's right. And so once you have Jesus, you have everything. You have the Bible. You have everything. You, you can We can pick apart those things and enjoy the rest of our lives until Christ comes back, uh, digging deeper and digging deeper. But... First things first, Christ is King, Christ is Lord. And then from there, everything can be awesome. Um, and so we preach Christ crucified. We should expect to be silly and weird, and that's fine, um, because God doesn't think we're silly and weird. He, fi he finds it a pleasant aroma of praise rising up to him. I so. just love it when he says, that's fine, I'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, Amen. again, I mean, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. That's right. And we are not enslaved by the philosophies of man, and we're not obligated to operate according to their standards. So Dude. Christ sets us free in so many different ways. So um, enjoy that. Go share the gospel right now. You know, hey, I'm on fire, so I'm like, let's go out on the streets and start talking right and you, now. And you should so. come. If you're, if you're in Buffalo, yeah. I'm getting ready to leave to go to yes. our revival tonight. Yeah. So if you're in the Buffalo area, man, we'd love to have you. 7 yeah. o'clock. Go, so. go worship at First Baptist Buffalo at 7 o'clock. Worship your Christ. Worship your King. Worship your Lord. Other than that, um, I am Ray Ray. And, and I am Dave. And this is the Tag Your It Podcast. Solely. Dale. Hallelujah.